Thank you. You may be seated. Very good. Great, great fourth verse. Would you do service for Jesus your King? We are not saved to sit. We are saved to serve. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Would you do service? It's your choice. You choose to be obedient and thus you reap blessings. Or you choose to be disobedient and you don't get blessed. There's power in the blood. Would you live daily? His praises to sing. We want to live every day. We want to live out that business of praising the Lord. It is good to be in the house of God tonight. If you are willing to distribute tracts, we have a special effort coming up. This little tract that we wrote and revised uh, back uh, in the, well, it was, I think, first time was 2015, then 2018, it was updated a little bit. This is the best, the most effective tract we've ever seen. We say, would you like a smile? And people, you know, they automatically smile. We're going to be distributing these and counting what we distribute September 3 through 17. That will be our effort for the first half of September. That's 15 days, Saturday through Saturday through Saturday. Three Saturdays and the days in between, 15 days in all, opens and closes on a Saturday, those three Saturdays included, and we want to pass as many of these tracks as we possibly can. I have accepted the pastoral challenge of 300 tracks. Now, how many of you would uh, like to think well of your pastor? Raise your hand. All right, now put your hand down. How many of you think and believe in your heart that your pastor is capable of passing 300 tracks out in 15 days? Raise your hand. All right. Now, how many of you will pray that I won't slack off and that I'll do that? Come on. How many of you will pray that each one of those tracks finds its way into the hands of some lost sinner that needs Jesus? Amen. Amen. I hope you'll do that. And we want to pray for one another. And as a church, Brother Tyler and everyone, we want to have 3,000 of these tracks distributed during those 15 days. We can do it. We can do it. But I need your participation. Tell Brother Tyler you'll participate. All right. We'll get a full report on the fair, maybe on Sunday. And those numbers represent souls. It's a whole different landscape, a whole different ball game, so to speak, than it's ever been before. And uh, the old devil wants to keep us back, doesn't he? Wants to keep us back there behind those tables. And we're trying to get out front of those tables and share the gospel. Amen. And it works. It absolutely works. And praise God for that. So I'm looking forward to what the Lord's going to do. Mark down the second Sunday in September, a very, very special day. It is September the 11th, and on that day, we will have all of our grandparents bragging on their grandkids. We're going to thank God for grandkids and great-grandkids. Amen. But also on that day, we're going to have guests with us all the way from Ireland. Anybody with Irish blood? Anybody? All right. So you got to be here. And that also means you've got to bring somebody with you. Everybody, let's get folks out to hear the, the brief report and testimony from our missionaries to Ireland, the Canavans. Uh, they're here local because they are members of Heritage Baptist Church, but they're going to come over and see us on Sunday morning, the 11th, and uh, we'll take up a little offering for them 
and what a blessed time we're going to have. That's going on in September. And uh, other things are going on between now and then every day we have the fair. Don't forget every morning we have from the shepherd to the sheep. And uh, then on Saturday at 9 a.m. we cleaned at 10 a.m. visitation and out to the fair at 2 o'clock for a full day and evening. That's going to be eight hours to close out the nine days at the fair. And the question will be, have we done all that we can do? Not have we hit a certain number. We'll, we'll have numbers of souls saved and almost as many assurances. And we're not even counting all the folks we talk to and helping them to find out that they've been taught the wrong thing or they haven't been taught the right thing about eternal security. We are the booth out there that has taken the extra time to win souls, but also to explain that God saves, listen, God keeps and he satisfies. Amen. I'd like to say hello to all of our guests who are coming online right now. God bless you for your faithful uh, viewing and being part of our growing subscribers and sharing with others uh, this, great, this great business of what we're doing here at Central Baptist Church. The Bible says a word fitly spoken. It says that in Proverbs 25, 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Very important that we always speak the truth in love. But it's very important that we always speak up for Jesus and that we do it the right way. Do you believe that? How many of you believe that tonight? No matter what we're doing, even when we're offering advice, counsel, rebuke, uh, whatever we may be doing, reproving, uh, chastising, whatever it may be that God puts us in that role to do, we need to always do it in lo love, in agape love. Amen. Always that way. It's very, very important that we do that. Uh, Ted Camp, who is a missionary to the deaf world, uh, says this. He says that um, sometimes the problem is how you say it or how you see it, how you perceive of it, how you approach it. And um, he's telling how one time, because we want to be careful not to attack people but problems, he said, a man came in his office and said, I want you to know that I love and appreciate you. Uh, and I replied, I wish I could say the same. And what resulted was two months of hurt feelings. Now, here's what, here's what the coworker said. <clears throat> I want to know, I want, I want you to know that I love and appreciate you. <clears throat> and then Ted Camp said, I wish I could say the same. The man was hurt for two months and there was, there was a rift between them. When he came back, Ted Camp said, no, no, no. When you said, I want you to know that I love and appreciate you, and I said, I wish I could say the same. I was saying, I wish I could say that I love and appreciate me like you love and appreciate me. I wish I could say the same as you're saying about me. I wish I could say the same about me. That's what he was saying. But he didn't say it that way. And so his coworker thought he was putting him down. 
And so their feelings were hurt. Anybody ever have something like that happen where something was said and it was said in such a way that people took it the wrong way? We've got to be so very careful to say it right. Otherwise, you know what? Someone's going to be unnecessarily hurt. Sunday, our message in the morning was on this thing called the church. And we decided we weren't just going to come to church or go to church or have church, but we were going to be the church. Be, be kindly affectionate one to another with, lovely kind, kind, with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. These are important things from the book of Romans. And tonight, it's very important that we not only say what's right and do what's right, but that we say it correctly. We say it the right way. Many, many younger pastors have encountered challenges that they have failed at because they have not had the experience to learn some of the things that we're going to say tonight. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is mentoring his protege, Timothy. And he says in verse 7 of chapter 4, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. And he's talking about speaking, which is a part of verse 12, which says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, that means life, not just talk, but life, in character, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And then he says, Till I come, give attendance to reading. Be in the book, be in the Word of God to uh, exhortation and to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by uh, prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, that's the elders. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. The emphasis here is upon what is communicated. And the young preacher, Timothy in this case, has to be careful to communicate, has to be careful to get the truth across. If you don't, you might end up unnecessarily offending, uh, repulsing, driving away those that should be drawn to the truth rather than pushed away from the truth. This is what I'm talking about. Tonight, every one of us may find ourselves in the role of correcting, chastising, helping, building up, exhorting, encouraging others. They may not have it quite right. So how we correct that is as important as correcting it. Because if we correct it in, in the wrong way, in the wrong vein, with the wrong attitude, with the wrong spirit... We can drive people away from God and godliness entirely. How we say things is so important as we offer advice and counsel and guidance and direction. J.C. McCauley said, It takes a great man to give sound advice tactfully, but a greater to accept it graciously. Hmm. Hmm. Dr. George Harris was the president of a college 
And he would stand to give counsel to his students, and he would do it day after day, week after week, year after year for, for decades. And one of his listening students recorded this. On one occasion, Dr. Harris stood, and uh, he stood to give advice, but he said this, I intended to give you some advice and counsel, but now I remember how much of that is left over from last year yet unused? And with that, he took his hat and walked out of the assembly. And that's just a visual of what we're all about. We're going to receive and give advice and counsel in our lifetime. We need to be careful to do it in the right manner. We need to be gracious in giving and gracious in receiving that counsel. There is a very great difference between mere advice and divine guidance. We're told to trust in the Lord with all our heart and to lean not unto all, uh, our own understanding in all our ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct our paths. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And we need to be careful to remember that even when a human being is trying to give guidance. It's the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit through the individual. It's the light that's coming out of the Word of God. We can advise, but only God can guide. Only the Word of God, can I get an amen, can guide us. Amen. Now, Henrietta Mears, who was the greatest Sunday school writer that I can recall, pointed out, that in the case of getting proper guidance and advice and counsel and direction, uh, she said, it's difficult to steer a parked car, so get moving. And, you know, that's important to, to keep our forward motion going and then leave it up to God, the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God to direct us, to direct our paths. But we have to have and exercise that initiative. And so that is why... Uh, there are erasers on pencils. The erasers on the pencils because somebody attempted something and then had second thoughts or then altered it or edited it and changed it. And so that's what the eraser is for. But if we didn't ever attempt something, you wouldn't need an eraser. I used to sit in my 12th grade journalism class and uh, Mrs. Black, she was... She was quite a teacher, used to say to me, she'd come stand up behind me and I could sense her presence behind me and I'd begin to sweat as, you know, trying to write something. And she'd say, she had a deep, uh, a deep accent. And she said, Mr. Winnegar, she said, you can't fix what you haven't written yet. The erasers on the pencil so that you'll make an effort. And in life, a parked car doesn't go anywhere. Henrietta Mears is correct. We need to be going the right direction. And then along the way, we have advisors and counselors through whom the Word of God and the Spirit of God is speaking to us and hopefully speaking the truth in love that is coming to us graciously and we're receiving it graciously 
It needs to be both ways. This is so very important. Alan Redpath, great preacher and writer, notable man of God, was making a transition from one place in his life to the next station that God had for him. And he said, the way God did it every day as I meditated in the Word, little by little, God was directing me. So he was going forward. He was journeying on his way, but God was directing his paths. And God was keeping him going. How many of you are getting something out of this tonight? You say, yeah, preacher, I can't be a parked car. I've got to keep going, but I've got to let God the Holy Spirit through the Word direct me. Amen. It was Charles Stanley who said, as we proceed through the valley of the unknown, we will find the footprints of Jesus both in front of us and beside us. In front of us because He's guiding the way. And alongside of us because He never leaves us and He never forsakes us. I'm thankful for the Word of God. It is that bread of heaven spoken of in the song, Guide me, O thou great Redeemer, pilgrim through this, this uh, barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. And that's what we're taking in, the Word of God that feeding by the Word of God. There it is. There it is. Now, our text tonight is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We have been reading about those schisms, those divisions in the church. They were choosing up sides in the immature uh, church known as the church at Corinth. They were lining up behind their favorite preachers instead of lining up according to the will of and the guidance of God Himself. It says in verse 14, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. And that's the title of our message tonight, I warn you. When we think of the word warn and warning, we think of something harsh. But the word is not the same harsh word that we think of when we think of warning. In Bible times and New Testament times, those that were well off enough to be educated had a slave or a servant that would teach the children. And that slave or servant was correct in their teaching, but their heart wasn't necessarily in it. And they would be harsh with the children. That's not the word that's used here. The, the teaching, the instruction is not coming from one who is harsh or in a harsh manner. But the instruction is coming as would come from a loving father to a child. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians as if they are part of what? The family. The family. May I remind you that we are a body. We are one in Christ. We have that one accord. We have that oneness together. We go on in verse 15, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus 
I have begotten you through the gospel. So being a soul winner puts a tremendous responsibility upon us to be the discipler. You see, we've won them to Christ. We've shown them the bad news, which is we're all sinners and on our way to hell. But Jesus Christ died for us and we can be saved and that's the good news. And then after that, that's not the end of it. We are to disciple. We are to teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Wherefore, based on that, verse 16, I beseech you, be ye followers, look at this, followers, look at this, of me. That's the same as he says over in chapter 11, verse 1, be ye followers of me as I am of Christ. We need a fatherly example. Children need to see mom and dad, see older role models, going the right direction, doing the right thing. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, that's Timothy, who is my beloved son. He's mentored him, as we've already read in 1 Timothy 4 and uh, down through uh, verse 12 and, and uh, understanding the role of protege under the mentor. So he sent Timotheus and he's entrusted him with responsibility. And faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So a protege can represent the mentor even while he is still in that mentor-protege relationship. And with that same authority can say, I've been sent by the Apostle Paul to convey to you the truth. Now, when he does that, the younger protege must remember what? What did I say when I started? It's not only what you say, but how you say it. And you know, by the time we examine, you know, what was said, what was meant, how it was heard, how it was taken, how they responded, you get all of these different perceptions, it becomes a more complex issue than it really started out to be. We need to make our yay, yay, and our nay, nay. We need to speak precisely. Last evening, a gentleman came up and was speaking to one of our workers who was out in the aisle. Good place to be serving the Lord. And my role as kind of the senior floater has been to kind of watch for those situations. And in this case, my wife was watching. And she said, go help him out. Don't you think you should go help him out? And I looked up and I realized it, so I went and uh, found out that the man was not a cult member. He was not a member of... Uh, Islam, or anything else. But he was raising an abstract question. We have a presentation that says three things, you know, three things that God cannot do. Have you seen three things that God cannot do? They say, no, that's a yes. And we say, well, we'll, we'll show you what's under door number one. And that's how that works. That's how we get people in by that methodology. This fellow had created his own script 
had gone off script and he said, do you just, do you realize what you're telling people and how you cannot tell them that God can forgive them? And I said, where are you coming from? You know, I'm Pastor Brad Winnegar. They call me preacher. Who are you and where are you coming from? And he proceeded to give me his abstract thought. And here's what it was, Neil. That when you tell people, he said, when you tell people that God forgives them, they think it didn't cost anything. Well, just say that. Be simple. People, he said, think it's kind of like this. And I use this illustration. I said, here's what you mean. I heard an evangelist one time who preached very foolishly that when God forgave his sin, it was kind of like the, the traffic cop writing out the ticket, then tearing it up. I said, when God saved me, he didn't tear up the ticket. When God saved me, he took my ticket and handed it to Jesus Christ. And Jesus paid it in full. And I looked back at him and he said, that's right. As if to say, why didn't I think of that? And I'm thinking, while he's thinking that, why didn't you think of that? Instead of trying to confuse my soul winner out here who's passing out tracks and just doing business for God. But that's what you've got. It can be very confusing. This seems so simple, but it's profound. It can be very confusing if you're not plain. And who is the author of confusion? The devil is the author of confusion. And who spoke with great plainness? The Bible says Paul spoke with great plainness. And that's what we should do. All right, so he sends Timotheus, and Timotheus goes as his representative, even though he's the protege, but what does he have to be careful to do? He has to be careful to say it the right way, communicate it the right way. You can't do this. You can't say, well, you'll just have to overlook the fact that I'm blunt. You'll have to overlook the fact that I'm whatever, that I'm loud, that I'm abusive in my language because that's the way I'm wired. No, 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 no. That's why God gives us grace so that we don't excuse ourselves. The person says they are from such and such a background. They were raised a certain way. Uh, they, you know, come from this kind of a, of a job or situation or they themselves were mistreated or whatever. That's no excuse. The grace of God hath appeared to every man, which means you, there's enough grace available for you to get saved. There's enough grace available for you to get changed. There's enough grace available for you to be effective with people. And there's enough grace available for Timotheus, who is the protege, to go with the authority of the mentor, the Apostle Paul, and still be effective and speak precisely. When I walked away from that fellow, after we had had our discussion, I mean, we were friendly. But I said, an economy of words. He says, you're right. An economy of words. Not so many words that we bury them. And that goes for anything. We know a person in the ministry 
when he used to chastise a staff member, a volunteer a church member, they, they dreaded the meeting only because he would sit them down and talk to them for, I am not kidding, three to four hours. Three to four hours would be their meeting. There is a little book called The One-Minute Manager. Anybody ever read it? The one-minute this, the one-minute that. Read it. We, we may not get it all said in one minute, but we can certainly get it said in fewer minutes than we do, in fewer words, an economy of words, spoken in love, spoken effectively. This is what is needed. And so he says, Who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, here it is. Here it is. From church to church. Now, some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. In other words, not just hot air, but I'm going to bring the goods. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love? and in the spirit of meekness. So, here we have it. Paul is discussing the subject of division, and he is looking at it thoroughly. He is saying, we have a ministry. He says this in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Briefly stated, tell the truth. Say what you mean, mean what you say. There it is. Don't try to manipulate. Don't try to intimidate. Be that loving father he's talking about and warn the children. Warn them so that they will understand that you are a channel of blessing through whom God is speaking. There it is. It says in Jeremiah 6 and verse 17, Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet, but they said, we will not hearken. We're told in Ezekiel chapter 3 that we're a watchman on the wall. Think about that. We're told in Hebrews 13 that we have the rule over some folks. That means in the sense of order, not in the sense of dictatorship, because Peter writes against that and says, we are not like the Gentiles. We exercise, we don't exercise lordship, but rather the order that the Lord puts us and place, places us in. So obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The approach is that of a family. Now don't come up to me afterwards and call me Father Weniger. all right? We don't do that. But there is that loving relationship that's not harsh, but rather is to be clarified and understood. And in a loving way, there's love 
and yet there's judgment. There, there's care and concern, but there's discipline, all of that. There, there's, there's investment, but there's also investment to help the person to develop in the right way. The verse that we frequently refer to in Philippians chapter 4 is verse number 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Because Jesus is near and He's coming, we, we need to be balanced individuals. And so there is a tension or a balance between certain things that we might view otherwise as being opposites or at least diverse. But we can, we can both praise and warn. We, we can encourage and chastise. We can do all of that. We were taught, and then in turn taught, generations of school staff in the Christian school movement. And in orientation, we would teach this approach. Plus, minus, plus. Positive, negative, positive. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, we are so happy. Plus. We are so encouraged by your son, Johnny, who is doing such a tremendous job in math and science and exercises leadership among his peers and is a, you know, is a leader, natural leader. They look up to him and, and in the class. Johnny's doing just a fantastic job. And we're, we're so happy that Johnny is in the class. Now, here we go. However, we need to make sure that Johnny doesn't countermand the directives, the directions that are given by the staff of the school. And we need to remember that with all of his potential, Johnny is, after all, five and a half years old. <laughs> Plus, we are sure Johnny will grow up to be a great leader, perhaps president someday. If he lives that long. No, you don't say that. But that's the kind of communication we taught. And it's good communication to practice. Plus, minus, plus. Positive, negative, positive. Just make a sandwich out of that thing, okay? And make sure that you're wise as serpents and harmless as doves. When it comes to talking to people and giving guidance and direction. Now, I want to hasten to say this. Undoubtedly, in the 20 years that I've been your pastor here, some of you have known me longer than that. Uh, Tyler's known me all of his life, practically. And in that time, undoubtedly, I have failed to communicate effectively. And for that, I apologize profusely. And I hopefully will do better in the future. And anytime you feel like, making up with me and you feel sorry about the way you've talked, let me know. But here's what it boils down to. We, we in many ways, offenses will come. Didn't Jesus? Yes, offenses will come. They're inevitable. And, and in many ways, we offend a lot of people. And we've got to be so very careful, cautious. We've got to be guided by the Holy Spirit. So there it is. Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of me. Be followers of me. And he said that for a good reason, because God had been working on him a long time. These, 
cliques in the church at uh, Corinth needed to be disbanded, but they needed to be disbanded effectively and uh, perhaps graciously, if possible. Paul, number one, loved the Lord. Number two, he loved people. Please understand, God wants us to be like Paul. He wants us to love the Lord first. Then he wants us to love our neighbor. He wants us to love people. As we love people, it needs to be clear that that is the case. So that even when chastisement takes place, even when they're becoming the object of our, of our concern, constant concern in our prayers and so forth, we want them to know that we love them. Years ago, I was trained in youth ministry by the man that I consider the greatest youth pastor who ever lived. His name was Pastor Don Nelson of the Fourth Baptist Church of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And he's now gone to heaven. He's not the same Don Nelson that was in basketball, but he, he, was, he was as effective with ministry as Don Nelson, the basketball coach, was with basketball players. He was great. He was great. And in teaching us, teaching us about effectiveness in speaking, he taught us that when you have the love and the respect of your youth group, or you can apply this to your children, or to your ministry, or to your pastorate, to your congregation, when, when there is that mutual love and respect and everything is intended to be given in love, spoken in love. People are attracted rather than repelled by correction. A boy or a girl who knows that mom or dad or the leader loves them will not run from correction. They will run to it. And they will, they will have a moment of, of sorrow for sin and repentance and then with a smile and with restoration, they will go on from there. That's the kind of relationship ideally we should have in the church as well as in the home. That's the kind of relationship that is effectual because it is not based upon force. It is not based upon threats. But the warnings are as those fatherly exhortations and concerns are expressed by Paul for the Corinthian Christians. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something, something in the message spoke to my heart? Slip your hand up high. Yes, amen. I trust that that is the case. And in just a moment, we're going to extend the invitation. If you'd like to come, you may. But we're going to be singing, and you can pray from where you are. Come forward. As the case may be, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now something like this? Dear God, we admit that we're sinners and we deserve to pay for our sin. We believe Jesus died to save us. And right now we ask you into our heart and life as personal Savior, please take away our sins and take us to heaven when we die. And if you prayed that prayer, come. At the invitation, let us know that you've prayed 
that prayer of salvation. We're going to stand to our